Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and french fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. This is DeRay, and welcome to Pod Save the People. In this episode, it's me, Kaya, DR, and Miles, as usual, talking about the news that you don't know and the news that you probably should know when it comes to race, equity, and justice. And then we also talk about some of the cultural things that have happened in the past week. Notably, we talk about the Oscars. I always learn so much from everybody on the pod, and it keeps me up to date with what's going on in the world. I hope that you enjoy this episode. Here we go. And my advice for this week is to make sure there are people in your life who can tell you when things are beautiful, who are your cheerleaders, and also people who can say, hmm, something doesn't feel right. And recently we were making some decisions and somebody said to me, this thing doesn't feel right. I looked at it over and over and we could do it, but it doesn't feel right. And listening to her say that the decision we were about to make doesn't feel right was all I needed to say. Like, I think you're right. And I probably would have been like, oh, I think we can get through it. I think this will be fine. And she was like, mm, I don't think that feels right. And sometimes we need to gut check by, by people in our lives and people we work with and be open to that. Listen when it happens. It's how we do our best work. And Miles actually said to me in an offline, like not during the podcast, uh, Miles said that we should think about our intuition like our ancestors speaking to us. And sometimes we just got to listen. And I've been listening better, listening better to the people around me and listening better to myself. Here we go. Hello, Pod Save the People family. It's so exciting to be together again this week. Me and my friends chit-chatting. Um, this is Kaya Henderson at Henderson Kaya on Twitter. This is Miles E. Johnson at Feral Rapture on Twitter and Instagram. This is Dre at DIY on Twitter. We are missing our girl Diara this week week but she's gonna send her news in and we're gonna chat it up next week um because there's a lot to talk about still a whole entire week later uh the slap heard round the world is the topic of conversation my friends okay first of all did you see it live or did you see it in the replay i saw it in the replay deray deray told me everything was happening i was i was asleep I saw it. Um, I saw it like right as it happened. I like because the the friend group was like, the chat was in a the the text I got was, did that really just happen? Like that was the text, and everybody was like, are we? Did it just happen? And then it was like, oh, this isn't a joke. That like really did just happen. Mm. I saw it watching my television. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, a whole entire minute. I think he just slapped him. And then Chris Rock said, Will Smith just smacked the bloop out of me. And you all know the rest of the story. So what thinkest thou? <laughs> Are you not going to lead us off, uh, Miss Kaya? <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear what you have to hear. 
I got a lot to say. That was you know shady. I have a lot to say. <laughs> that was shady. But I, you know, I'm I'm deferring to the younger people because uh, I feel like I feel okay, like, okay, okay. <laughs> woo. Oh, this also got think? real political. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's the it's the you looking away and just looking at us and saying say something. Deray, you want to go first? You know, so it's obvious that he shouldn't he shouldn't have met Chris Rock. So there's that. I think that what was really surprising was to see the range of takes. I thought that um, I thought that Cape Hart's take in the Washington Post was perhaps the single worst one I saw. And the quote was like, "How could you do that when white people were looking at us?" And it's like there are actually a lot of reasons to be. Frustrated with Will, I thought that that one was not, that felt like a weird, that didn't feel right. Like this idea that the actions that we do should be different because white people are in the room is like, and that's what K-Part said in the Washington Post. And like that op-ed just felt like a, that felt bizarre. Equally, I felt the other extreme of being like, oh, it's just a slap. Like that also felt dishonest. Like the people who were like, oh, you know, just is like another day at the Oscars. And you're like, well, I don't know. Like, I don't know if that is, that, that take feels like a, pretty dramatic take two and that is mostly what i saw on twitter that first night it was like sort of like a double down defensive wall i think that there's somewhere in the middle you know and i will also say that chris rock if chris had responded it would have been a whole different moment if chris had fought him back or said something else i mean we would be talking about this completely differently i'll be interested to see how it plays out you know i I don't think that red, red Table Talk has the range to talk about this. And, you know, they they say that he's going to talk about this. And I'm like, Oprah probably feels like the only person who is sort of a neutral arbiter who can come in and have Will not say something else that's going to be just, like, not helpful. And I get the, like, you know, they thought Entanglements was going to be this progressive moment. And it really just made a meme of Will. I think that this is, like, another thing where, like, Will will be stuck with it for a very long time. Um, and I think that we will all be, I think, you know, as long as this has lived already, I think that the first time Chris Rock decides to talk about it in a way that we see, it'll just be all back. So that's my initial thoughts. But I, uh, I'm curious to see what both of you have to say. Uh, this is like, I just probably like, it's, this is like, will drive me insane trying to talk about because this is one of those things that I have a million different areas in prisms that I'm like, my mind can go into and in thinking about it. But my initial thought was, you know, it's interesting because I think that when you come from a certain community, so this like I'm naming the community I'm coming from and also community like Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, um, that Chris Rock is from, and then also um, North Philly, like Will Smith is from. And I take off the initial, the, 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 the media's dramatization of the, um, of the situation. I, I, so I did this practice where I was telling my boyfriend what happened without their names and being like, oh yeah, I went to a family, re- I went to a party um, and then this man from Bed-Stuy looked at this man from North Philly with his wife and his kids and said his wife looked like she about to be in G- G.I. Jane and will you believe it that the dude from North Philly smacked the guy from Bed-Stuy and entertaining story, not surprising. And I think it was interesting to me to see that sometimes we, um, people from communities that I, I'm more familiar with um, than the, the kind of, like, whitewashed institutions that that, that, that the Oscars, uh, like, upholds kind of seem to, like, forget, 
like just certain things that are just like not normal, you know? The second thing <laughs> was that it was very interesting to see a legion of uh celebrities from like such a like community bereft of like morality give their opinions. I'm like, who cares what Jim Carrey thinks? Like who like they were just asking people who I never thought to like I'm like, I don't care what I don't care where you think. I don't I don't understand. And I also think it was interesting to see the distance because here finally Hollywood Hollywood folks have agreed on somebody to finally cancel because it just seemed like everybody had something to say. So now they all want to be canceled. And it was interesting to see the public really or I want to say all the public, but there was a, a large piece of the public really like what Will Smith did but I think they liked it because I think that A it felt like he was doing it for his family it was for his family um his 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 family and uh in uh, uh, in integrity to to him and I also think that it was um authentic and I think that in um after 4 years of Trump I think after um so much political uh, uh talk and in 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 all this going on it felt really good to see somebody react in a way that we've at least all felt or all anticipated and it felt authentic and it felt authentic and it really resonated with um a lot of people the third thing that was really interest that will be really interesting to me um is chris rock's response to it and how chris rock incorporates this into future interviews and stand-up routines because I think that very quickly we were able to see to quote Cornell West, but I can't really quote it because it has the N-word, but the the N-wordization of of uh of a person. Um you kind of see this kind of like barbaric, savage, brute Will Smith come and there's some racially fueled optics that are on that are um that that were uh projected onto Will Smith and it will be really interesting because Chris Rock is gonna be in a, u- a unique place to position this and contextualize this as something that's wrong that happened to him, but it's still inside of the community and it's still and it's and it's not barbaric and it's not making um will into until this like savage subject that's been happening this week or chris rock can choose to kind of um perpetuate this like myth that's going on about will smith that he's this like barbaric uh uh savage person because he had a um to him a lapse in judgment or he or he returned to an, uh, his instincts of when somebody's talking about his family you know um so that's what that's what I'm kind of really curious about because I think that that will kind of the, that that to me will be more iconic and legendary how Chris Rock handles this because he's in the position that usually um white women are in <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, and and and, and it's so it'll be interesting to see how he tackles, um, how how he tackles this and 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 talks about it. And one second before you go, Kai, it'll also be interesting to see what Jada says because, you know, everybody's rationale has been that that she that it was a joke about her that has led to this and alopecia, and for all the people that have offered any type of public apology nobody's necessarily apologized to her and she hasn't really said anything and i do think that what she says will uh will matter a lot you know i went to bed sunday night talking about this i woke up monday morning talking about this i didn't i couldn't like focus on work on monday and like a whole lot of other people we continue to talk about this all week and one of the questions that i keep asking myself is what is it about this thing that makes us so obsessed with it, right? And I think part of it is 
this idea of transparency cutting both ways, right? So Will and Jada have been incredibly transparent about their lives. Um, some people might think over-transparent because I feel like at the beginning, everybody's like, oh yeah, Red Table Talk. We're getting a real talk and da-da-da. And then at some point people are like, can Will and Jada just shut up, right? And then, <laughs> and then we get this um, where a very, where we just saw a mess, right? We saw a very messy moment. We saw regular human people in a mess on TV for the whole world to see, tis true. Um, But that's, they started that, right? And I think it just brings up a lot of questions for each of us. What would we have done? How would we have reacted? Who's right? Who's wrong? And I don't think that we've seen this level of humanism in a while, right? Maybe, maybe we have, I don't know. But I think like the different people's reactions just speak to the plurality of like how we see the world as humans. And so, I mean, for me, I I think part of this is about um, the messiness of redef- like we're redefining relationships. Will and Jada have a very different relationship than many of us are accustomed to seeing. And, you know, sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't work. We've had a front row seat to it and we saw some more of it. I think we saw the messiness that comes with mental health issues. Like, I don't, I don't know, it, it was so it was all just messy and there was a lot, a lot, a lot to talk about. You know, I got the traditional auntie respectability uh, perspective, which is... <laughs> Which is, hell no, he shouldn't hit Chris. If Chris responded, then it would have probably set us back 50 years as a people because <laughs> to see two Black men scrapping on the TV like that would have been more, even more dramatic. Um, I really, I, I, you know, we don't know anything about what Jada's feeling, as you said, DeRay. I hated, hated Will Smith's speech that he made when he got his Oscar. I hated that he was still sitting there. I hated that he got up and gave that mamsy pamsy garbage speech is how I really feel about it. And I hated that the whole thing overshadowed everybody else. It's like, this was the blackest Oscars we ever had, and we're not going to ever have a black Oscars again. And I feel badly about that. And I feel like Will and Jada need to go deal with their stuff and maybe putting all your stuff on TV is not the right way to work out these messy human things. Um, Cause you know, if you put it like the, the public thing, I, I will say the hardest thing that I've ever done is work in a very, very public job. And when that stopped, I like, I mean, you, you just, I, I like, and I've seen it go badly for people when you give yourself to the public, the public actually does own you. And so when you need moments of of privacy or humanity or whatever, it's not always yours to have. And I think that that is very dangerous. That's not how we're built as people. Um, so I don't know. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it is like the best soap opera we've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, I don't know. I think I th- I think that 
Because <laughs> I felt now I felt like I have the I have the I have the the the, the little the little cousin non respectable Gen Z millennial <laughs> traditional perspective because I'm like to me I think I always wrote that one of the things that white people um, have in art and media that really that that I've noted that like that that has um, empowered them is the fact that they were a, you could go to one television show and somebody is um, breaking bad and, and in jail and on meth. And another one when you're on president. And I, I feel like it broke something open to me that I think because it happened between two black men, I think because the the perpetuator was somebody who was actually deeply respectable and deeply seen as a nice guy and deeply, um, in one time in his career was actually seen as, um, a raceless black person, a black person who, who was like that. And, um, the fact that he did that to a dark skinned man and a dark skinned black man on stage and the fact that it was between both of them and the fact that one is being honored, I think they kind of expanded it because two people are it's are of the same identities and the in 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 almost like flip roles and it <laughs> it was almost a little poetic to me how it happened. I'm like I actually think that it didn't set us back. I think that it it, it pushed us forward and expanded us two ways and and up and down and I and I and I think that I think they were always going to be good and I think for anybody who moments like this set us back for um are people who are already interested in um, us staying back. So I think, I think that's right. I, so one, like the white folks who don't like black folks who always see us the way they see us, nothing changed except there's an opportunity for validation, right? See, I told you, blah, blah. You could dress them up. You can, Give you can make them rich. You can put them on the TV. <laughs> They're savages. They're savages. They still gonna right? fight. Right, and, and and the truth of the and the truth of the matter is, those people thought that whether the slap happened or they did or it didn't happen. And I do think, Miles, that in the same way that white people don't have to be every character, right? They can they can be whoever they are, and it doesn't represent the race. I want us to be in a place where every black person doesn't represent the race. Um, I just am old. And so for most of my life, for, for most of my life, that has been the case, right? Like we haven't had the luxury of having different phenotypes or whatever, or we've had a very few, right? Um, and so I want I want this to not matter for Black people more than anything else. And I think I do think that the millennials and the Gen Zs have a very different take on it that I I think I, I welcome. Right? I actually feel like I want you to be who you are and don't have to worry about representing the race. But if I I would I would be a liar if I told you that every single day that I was superintendent of the public school system in Washington, D.C., I wasn't just a superintendent. I was the young black superintendent, young black woman superintendent. And that carried, you know, that meant that for every young black woman who was coming before me or after me, like there were consequences and issues and whatnot. And so I want to live in y'all's world for sure. <laughs> and I love how free we are getting. I want us to get freer faster. Um, but you know, some of us can't let go of the baggage. Don't go anywhere. More Politic the People's coming. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. 
That's more people than there are in France, which means Tubi is more popular than cigarettes for breakfast. It's more popular than considering iced coffee a total abomination. More popular than loving political revolutions. More popular than mer and mer somehow being different words. Tubi, it's more popular than being French. See you in there. I, I do think one of the things that I opened up was this real question about like, and, and Miles, you sort of hinted to this, about like who gets to be the more arbiter because it's like people have kept those those Oscars who have been rapists, who have been domestic abusers. Like this question of like, what is good and, and who gets to decide who is on it? Like I thought that quite, that conversation, I feel like is wide open. And also, and I, you know, Kai, I know you know this and Miles, you put on events too. And Kai, you know this from the school system days is that like the thing, I just said this uh, yesterday with somebody at brunch. I'm like, who is the adult in the room? Because just like that, forget the slap. It made me question like if somebody had shot a gun, if there had been a bomb, if like who was the person making the call? Because I'm sitting here like that felt like, it just felt like a moment that like no adult came out and just said, hey, like something just happened. Every, like, like it just, like I'm like, who's, I think it'll be interesting for the Academy to really structurally make a call about like, who makes the decision in moments where things happen? Because that felt like it was like full blown. Nobody was in charge. And then, um, and then I do think you know. And this was Eric Benet's tweet. I don't know if you saw it. Miles. Did you see what Eric Benet said about this? I have not seen what Eric Benet said since I saw that Oprah Winfrey <laughs> episode fifteen years ago with Halle Berry. But <laughs> he said two things. Okay, but one of the things that he said was like, if that was somebody like me, like not an A-list celebrity, they would have dragged me out of the building. And I think that's true, right? Yes, that like absolutely that there is something about this was such a this was also a phenomenal display of what power allows you to get away with, because if this was a if this was not a Will Smith, there is no way he would have been allowed to sit there. There is no way he would have been allowed to accept the award. Like. I just don't believe it. And it was a, I think it put, it took the veil off for everybody that like power, straight up power allows you to do things that other, that like you cannot do and do it in public. And I thought it was also, I will say I was, to do something like this and then party all night at the parties as if it didn't happen was real. that was odd to me. Like that was just like a really, like that was odd. And and maybe you just wanted to get it out because you knew the next five days, like you knew that, this is going to be your last night out for a long time. But that did feel like a weird, that felt off to me. Yeah. And, and I'm, be, you know, I'm not somebody who like wishes something didn't happen. So I think that informs how I think about things too. Like it happened and, and whatever. So I try to see like, not even the optimistic side, but just really see like, what are the uses of what happened and what happened how, or, or the misuses of what happened and how I feel about it. But I think it's a, I think, Intercommunally, I really do think it's an interesting moment. I do think it, it does feel I, so. Somebody who I'll compare it to, which is like de- what, who's like the master of doing it, who did it gracefully and artistically, and and not like how Will Smith did it. But I really do think that um, even Beyonce has had moments of offering her respectability and her excellence, and and trading it in for like a black authenticity that um, that that was that was pretty risky, even through explorations of her sexuality and culture and I do feel like in a way that's more um that was patriarchal more violent all the other things I can say about it that still happened and I think that um 
I don't know. I think I really do think it's a. It, it, I, I think in our community specifically with everybody who's on this podcast and everybody who's talking right now, I've always been um, concerned in thinking about how respectability and how image and how the white gaze informs our relationships and what we think is true. And I think that this will be a moment in twenty years. I'm being like pretty serious in 20 years. I think this will still be a moment that was kind of like a landmark moment in shifting what matters to us, you know? And, you know, in the, in the, in, in, I think we still need to remember that the Academy, the Oscars are liars. Like, like I, I said this to, oh, I think I might've said it publicly too, but I was like, if this slap was on 75 millimeter film and directed by Quentin Tarantino, it would got an Oscar. So that the Academy can't say it doesn't like violence. The Academy loves violence. It awards violence. So there's like just there's there's a lack of integrity in the in the whole conversation that I'm like, no, everybody's a clown. And <laughs> and then somebody revealed that y'all that y'all are at the circus. But like, no, this is not there's just something for dishonest about everybody's engagement with it, where I'm like, oh we can't do that. We can't we can't lie. <laughs> The last thing I'll say, though, Miles, is in, it, this is a question for you, is that in your analogy, because I agree with you about the, like, you know, what happens in, uh, like, if, if you strip the power, strip the, they were actors and tell the story. In that scenario, though, do you not think your boyfriend would have also understand if the person had fought him back? The part, yeah, the, the, my, yeah, he would have understood that the person fought him back, The per, uh, he would have done it, but I also think that there's this thing, you know, um, Maya Angelou has this great poem where um, she talks about the talks about the black laugh and how and how um, how she says like, oh, I, I know that laugh of the black maid who she's on the bus with. I know that laugh. She's not actually laughing. She's opening up her teeth and making a sound. So white, what whiteness has done to like to the black instinct is suffocated it and made us not express it and made us um, say things and and do things and 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 grit teeth towards things that are not instinctually what 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 we do. So I think that if Chris Rock. I don't think Chris Rock would have made that joke in the in that context. I think in a black context, he would have not made that joke unless he was looking for a fight. And I think that these white institutions and this and, and white culture and civility and all this other stuff makes it it makes it okay to do things that 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 are that are triggering, that are um that that are violent, that 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 go against like our own kind of ethos as a culture. And I think that you know, yes, my boyfriend would have understood him fighting back, but I also think that that joke wouldn't have happened in the context of that too. And I think when I look at Chris Rock, what he said about Jada Pinkett Smith before and about the Oscar So White, I think about the viral videos of going around with Chris Rock allowing, um, with all white comedians and allowing one to say the N-word and saying, yeah, I say the N-word and Chris Rock having nothing to say. The only person who had something to say and who stood up for the moment was Jerry Seinfeld in that moment. That was the only person who, who said something. I'm like, oh, like, you know, Toni Morrison often talks about having a black body and a white mind, you know? And I think that Sometimes, and I think that's what we were seeing too. I think that this is some. If you grew up in Brooklyn Bed Stuy, you did not grow up thinking that you can talk about somebody's wife. And I'm and I'm just as curious 
and just as um yeah i'm just as curious about what made that switch happen as a black person as i am about any of these other conversations that are happening what made you think that was okay because i still unless i'm trying to fight you direct i'm not gonna go and talk about your partner <laughs> in front of you specifically not in front of you on a day that you're being celebrated and not think there's a fight so i'm interested in that switch as much as anything else and I wanted to ask too, this is for Kaya and Miles. Um, you know, some people have also said like, they could not, they, I've heard this critique of Chris and people also have been like, they can't remember a time where Will Smith has talked about being, a, the power of being a black man, that they like, that they also could not remember that. I mean, this is why I feel like the the onus is on each of us, right? Maybe Will Smith doesn't have to talk about being a black man. Maybe, maybe Chris Rock, was you know cruising for a bruising i mean i this is this is why, <laughs> this is like this is why it's so messy and this is why there's so much to excavate miles the thing that you said about us having an intra community conversation i think is the most important part right it does mean that we're having conversations about what is authentic um it uh, you know we haven't one of the things that i've heard a lot of my friends who are parents um, talk about is what? how do I explain to my kids what happened and how do I help my kids understand that this is not appropriate, even if I understand how Will felt and I think that Chris should have gotten slapped. I just think there are so many dimensions to this. And I think that the right thing is, um, I have a friend who lives in Memphis and um, I can't remember the organization, but a community organization opened up and said, come in and let's talk about this as a community. And I feel like that is where the healing happens. That's where the intergenerational sharing happens. That's when we get to crack through the archetypes of what I think Blackness is or what you think Blackness is and come to some different understandings. And I think that's the real power of this moment, right? That we are having conversations that we haven't, ma many people have not had before within the community. And so, yeah. No, definitely. I forgot the basis of the, uh, I forgot what the actual, I was so lost in your great answer. <laughs> what, did you, what, was the, what was the question, DeRay? Will, um, some people have said that they cannot remember a time where Will has talked about being a Black man or the power of being a Black man. They've said that in response to the critique that you've offered about the history of Chris, sort of this idea of like a, a white mind and a Black body. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it, I, again, you know, I don't, no, nobody has ever, you know, thankfully I'm in a better place now, but when I was, when I, when I was struggling either rent, neither Will Smith or Chris Rock asked me for a dollar so, or, or gave me a dollar. So I have, I'm not on a side. So I'm saying those things, that content that I saw about Chris Rock a long time ago has always stuck with me. But the same with Will Smith, because I think the same thing could be said about Will Smith, where I think attention grows. I don't, I don't think that you repress being from North Philly and being black and all these other things and you and and it does not eat you it does not birth a certain type of psychological spiritual um psychosis inside of you that cannibalizes you and i and i think moments like this that you can't um control are the birth of that because you're trying to get control you know and i think that that that's a part of it too but also i reject it because i maybe because i'm born in 91 and i'm also like you know a black culture geek i'm like no will smith definitely 
positioned himself as a black Jadis Pinkett Smith and Will Smith got that iconic essence um, spread talking about they black love and, and stuff like that. So, you know, Will Smith has has done it and, and, and has positioned himself as, his, himself as black. And um, I think there's other things that like Chris Rock has even done where, you know, Course of Good Hair documentary is the first thing that comes to my mind. Everybody hates Chris is the first thing that come, comes to my mind. So they've both done things that to me are products and 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 just beautiful creations that are for Black culture. Um, but also, I think that I think something when it comes to power, class, um, and and trying to navigate getting those things made. So you have to get those Black things made by playing a white game. I think it does something to you, and I think that it can either make you slap somebody, and I think it also can make you talk about somebody's wife when you know you shouldn't be talking about nobody's wife. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. No bloodshed, okay? Miles, I always love it. You you will pull a poet out of the crevice of the uh-huh. air. Uh-huh. And I'm here uh-huh. for it every time. I'm like, how did Maya get in this? You better pull Maya out of thin air. Out of me. There, was a Tony, there was a Tony reference, too. A, mm. I have made everybody what, read Nikki Rosa like it was a tattoo on my body. I'm absolutely. like, did you read Nikki Rosa? I'm the, I'm the, I'm gonna send y'all. I'm gonna send y'all the Maya Angelou. Um, thing. it's one of my favorite Maya Angelou. She does it in the speech. She p- does it in poetry, and she's talking about this. Um, this uh black maid who who laughs and she and she then she just takes that her laughing and be like hee hee and like and her laughing, but knowing she's really not laughing, and just takes it as like oh, all the times we can't be authentic, and she just uh this good. Uh, I hope I can find it, but this good idea that she says where um. Uh, authenticity happens where instinct and reflection meet, and then the action is born. So I think, you know, what we saw was instinct, but we didn't see auth- maybe authenticity was missed and stuff like that. Whereas, you know, I'm sure Beyonce is one to say, many are like, girl, you can go da-da-da, but she was like, you know what? I'm gonna make a song, and I'm gonna be ambiguous and stuff like that, because the reflection hit, but, you know. Um, but... I love, I love that. how you love Beyonce. <laughs> listen, listen, <laughs> listen, listen. I love, I love the work. I love, I, but you know who I love more than Beyonce? Who's my who? Who, who right now? Who? Kaya. Oh, <laughs> that was a good setup, baby. That was good. you. You my, get all the points for that Kaya. one. <laughs> I'll definitely get information from uh, Auntie Kaya. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't go anywhere. More Pontiac the People's coming. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the internet. Which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high coverage foundation. More popular than soft launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. Tubi, it's more popular than influencers. See you in there. So today's news for me, um, I brought because A, I, I, like I hardly even need to like look at this news. It's from it's from it's from um deadline, but uh, <laughs> I've I was obsessed with the story with Monique, and I think again Monique is somebody who. 
has really been radical about sticking with her authenticity, sticking with what makes her her and being loud and cursing. And she's clear. She feels familiar. And um, I identify with that because I really try to bring, like, I really do try to bring that part of me that knows that at the end of the day, I remind somebody of their cousin or their auntie or their uncle or their niece or their nephew. And I try to bring that to whatever, whatever I do and not lose that, no matter how risky it is, and I also try to say what's right. And I saw Monique do that, and I saw Monique get ostracized, and it really broke my heart. So it made me really happy to see the news that um, her and Lee Daniel had a public reconciliation on stage. And also Lee Daniel said that he, you know, just landed a $65 million movie deal, and Monique will be um, we'll be playing uh, a part of that role and playing and playing a role in that. And then also 50 Cent earlier said that, um, she, that he's um, created creating a role from Monique too. And I think that, you know, I have, you know, I, I, I'm quoting Dr. Cornell, what's the game? But he once said, um, I don't, I, I don't love black people so they can love me black. I, I will love me back. I love black people because they deserve to be loved. So there's been some things that Monique has said that I have not agreed with, that I'll never agree with. And I think that they are um, anti-sex positive, anti-body, and, um, and all these other things. And I still want her to be so rich. And I still want her to be at peace. And I still want her to feel respected. And I still want her to have access to all the, um, where, where wherever her creativity decides to flow. And I still want to her, her to have many opportunities to talk through these things and to disagree. And it's made me happy. Um, to see this happen and I thought that you know you know the, the beauty salon in heaven was just kind of cracking up at the poetic justice that was happening I'm like well look at these look like th- that the fact that these two things kind of happen parallel together and I was like you know you know for every big bang <laughs> there, there gotta be a there gotta be a long kiss you know what I mean there's the sun and the moon I'm like we all we got balancing and I've just been following this story for so long because I think that she's has been really brave for talking against the, the institutions and the people that she's been talking against and telling the truth towards and it felt really good to get leeway because I think not only do I want that for her but I think that her fighting for that um that level of authenticity and that level of truth has made it easier for um for, for for people like me for, for for I think for everybody on this podcast and 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 it just made me feel good what do y'all think I thought it was um I thought it was it was also interesting that this happened the same week of this other big cultural thing. Um, one, we don't get to see apologies and and yeah, we don't get we don't generally get to see apologies. The the thing happens and we hear all about it, and then stuff gets mended behind the scenes. And I think it was incredibly powerful that they stood up together and that he apologized or whatever the details were, that they've reconciled. Um, I agree with you. I think Monique is um, really talented. I think in the same way that we were talking about, you know, Black folks are not monolithic and we get to be all of the different flavors that we are. And she is a flavor that um, is her own whole thing. And I appreciate her. And I'm just happy that she is getting a chance to continue to do her thing because I've missed her. I feel like she's part of the, you know, she's part of the Black ecosystem. And we haven't had that kind of, I mean, sometimes you just want raunch, right? Like maybe other people don't, but like sometimes. (laughs) 
sometimes, sometimes you just need raunch because even if you can't express that raunch in your regular life, you go see a Monique show and you're going to hear some ish and you're going to see some ish and you're going whatever. And that connects with who we are as a people. And so I, I'm, I'm happy for her. Like you, I'm excited for these ladies that are my age. Hey, hey, getting their money, honey. Mary J on the power and Monique. Shout out to the man 50 for creating the opportunities for the aunties to stay in the game. Um, and, and shout out to Lee Daniel for giving her an opportunity for understanding or for, for, you know, whatever, fix it, Jesus. He'll do it every time. I'll say a shout out to T.S. Madison for laying the foundation for this. T.S. had a conversation with, um, with Lee Daniels and then Monique and, it sort of got lost in the big conversation because 50 Cent was via 50 Cent and had the caption on Instagram. Uh, but T.S. T.S. was a part of how this happened. I think that what I... I had no idea only, about that. Yeah, it's you should see. And T.S. is like not salty about it, but just like, is like, hey, just so you know, like uh, in the videos and stuff, like had a conversation with Lee and then had a conversation with Monique. And T.S. I didn't know T.S. had a show where, where she drives around with people in the car or something like that. Um, but, but, you know, this reminds me of something you said, Miles, about the slap is that Hollywood power, all those things, the pressure of it, the gaze of whiteness sort of pushes you to do certain things and behave certain ways that might not be aligned with what your values might be or what you would do if you didn't feel like it. Like Kai talked about when what happens when you are the young black woman superintendent and you want to cuss that person out because they deserve it but you can't be you don't or you don't feel like you can because the cost of it will be so great and, da, da, da. and i definitely felt like that i remember when i was 30 being the chief human capital it was like i was the child who was the human so like people would say crazy things and my gut would be like that's just not there was one meeting where i did close my laptop and just walked out and i told them to call the superintendent and she is my boss. And if you have a question, she will tell me what to do. And they were like, he's crazy. But like, other than that, I really was like very chill. Uh, I say all that to say that Monique, uh, people laughed at her. When when she said what Hollywood did to her, people joked her. People said, you don't deserve. People said that like, this is a part of the game and you just take the heat and da, da, da. And she was like, this ain't right though. Like I, I didn't do the wrong thing. And people literally joked her. And what was cool to me about the apology was that she got it in public. It was vindication, but it was also reminded that like, you know, you know, like the old people would say, like the only thing you leave with is your name. And she put a stake in the ground around like, all this other stuff is like not worth me lying. It's not worth me like being silent about the things that I've experienced. And like, that was a lesson for me too. Just like seeing that was really powerful. But like for both of y'all having, and all of three of us having those moments of, you know, if you did curse somebody out, you know, Auntie Kaya, if you did curse somebody out, DeRay, or do something like that um, and, and just totally lose your mind, I think that, what I'm noticing more and more is that it's really important for us as black folks to have a community that understands, you know, like when, when I, when I, when something happened and I got into a fight because somebody called me a homophobic something, or, you know, I was in Georgia. So like a racist something or whatever, and I lost my mind and stuff like that. I was already going to get handled by, by, by 
<laughs> by the school. I was already going to get kicked out. But my mom made my favorite meal. Because she, because, and I think that sometimes we have to remember that sometimes we got to make our own selves our favorite meals. And we got to do stuff because we're already going to be brutalized by by that system and I think that's what it is too and the last 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 thing is if y'all haven't seen it Monique has a stand up um, comedy special that I saw when I was entirely too young to see it because I'm a latchkey kid and I was doing what I wanted to do and it's called I Could Have Been Your Cellmate where she actually goes to a prison and actually performs for all women's um, uh, prison and talks to them and says you know what I might be on the Parkers right now I might be doing all this stuff and I'm on, I'm on Soul Plane and, and getting all this money but let me tell you a list of these stories that could have made me right next to you so the reframe is actually stories and that's how come I could have been your soulmate and I think about that as when we talk about non-respectability and we talk about breaking down these walls I find that just like monumental in how it made her our relationship horizontal and I thought that was really beautiful so yeah if y'all have time to see it um it's 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 everywhere (laughs) go watch it I will say you know I think for me just reflecting on on those times where I really did want to cuss somebody out um What I committed to myself was that I was going to be my whole self in that job. And so while, you know, the little girl from Mount Vernon couldn't just go Mount Vernon on you, I was going to find a way to let you completely and totally understand my displeasure in all of my Black womanhood, right? And so I think part of, like, there's there's not an either or, right? There's how am I going to release the wrath on you that you deserve, in a way, that's not going to get me fired, but that's going to get you to know exactly how I'm feeling. And I think for me, that ended up being a challenge, a creative challenge, right? Because you like you are going to know how I feel deep down in my heart because I'm giving you the whole entire thing. But I'm going to use this intellect. I'm going to use some poetry. I'm going to use some other people. I'm gonna, and I'm going to dance all over your heart, baby, because that's what I'm, that's what, that's what it is. Oh, yeah. And then I'm going to spin around on my heel and walk out like the black woman that I am swaying my hips. And you're going to know what just happened, right? And so I I just, I want to say that, like, you know, we are masterful at how we do our thing. And just because I ain't slapped nobody when I was running D.C. public schools didn't mean I didn't want to and didn't mean I, they didn't get slapped figuratively if they didn't get slapped physically. My news today is about maybe um, one of the biggest environmental injustices that I've learned about um, against Black folks. And it is about a housing development in New Orleans called Gordon Plaza, that was developed, um, in fact, for uh, middle-class Black people to invite Black people into home ownership in New Orleans. Um, they built this, uh, built this, built uh, 67 houses um, that were for sale, 67 ranch-style houses that were for sale, um, primarily targeting the Black community. Many first-time home buyers, and they built this. Um, this uh, housing development on what used to be a dump, a garbage dump. It turns out that the soil was untreated. When they closed the dump, um, they literally just poured some new soil on top and kept it moving. 
Um, but in fact, there were 149 toxic contaminants in the soil, 49 of them linked to cancer. And there were 57 families who lived in this community. And these people, y'all, had scraped their money together to buy their first homes. They were planting vegetables in their gardens and planting fruit trees and whatnot. The city of New Orleans, the mayors of New Orleans, went out and sold this to people, right? Um, even though everybody knew, the government knew from the beginning that this was on the site of this dump and that the land was contaminated. They hid um, EPA reports. They hid um, the environmental testing that had happened. And, um, and these people were literally eating fruits and vegetables from this contaminated soil. They saw in it, you know, in it, crazy rates of cancer, lots of folks dying from cancer. They built a school, an elementary school on this site, even when they knew that it was contaminated, even after they knew it was contaminated. And they told they told the residents and the school teachers and the school children that they were okay um, when they literally were sending people in in hazmat suits to dig up the ground and, and whatnot. It is really, it's a crazy story and you should read it. Um, the Of course, the community sued. And the terrible thing is they were awarded a $90 million judgment in court. Um, and they, the folks have just refused to pay. Um, they've gone to court again and gotten a drop to 75 million. They did give out um, some money at the very beginning, but they literally just have refused to do anything about it. And there have been black mayors and white mayors and all of these mayors who, on the one hand, um, express their apologies to the community and at the same time are using the city's lawyers to fight them super vigorously. And it's, you know, everybody from the Morials, daddy and son, to the Landrews, to current Mayor Cantrell. And it, it is just galling when you read the story of these people who did everything right. They were pursuing the American dream. They were creating safe spaces for their kids. And the government, the whole entire government, from the federal government to the state government to the local government, just screwed these people. And there literally is no recourse at this point. Even when the courts say pay, the government is just not paying. The school system is not paying. Nobody is paying. And these people cannot go anywhere. Their housing values have plummeted. Nobody will buy. Even insurance won't pay. Um, and so these people are just stuck living on this toxic and contaminated land. People are dying. People have dementia. People have multiple forms of cancer. And it's horrible. And there's really no solution to this. Um, and I brought it to the pod because we fight on so many levels as Black people, um, housing discrimination, job discrimination, education problems. I mean, these people just wanted a safe place to live and they wanted to raise their kids and grow their own vegetables. And the government of New Orleans, the government of Louisiana, the government of the United States put them on a toxic waste dump. It is a super fun site. Um, and these people have no recourse. And 
It just enraged me to read this article. I think it's important for those of us who are climate justice warriors to understand that this stuff is not new for our community. I taught, I started my teaching career in the South Bronx, which arguably has um, greater environmental issues than almost any community in the United States, or at least that was true in the early 90s. Um, we are, violence is being perpetuated against our communities in ways that we haven't even thought about. And so I wanted to bring this to the pod to let folks know what's going on. Kaya, the organizer in me read this and I like, I'm like, whew, we still got a lot of stuff doing criminal justice, but I'm like, maybe we'll do a little uh, pivot to the environment for a couple campaigns just because this is so egregious. And it made me think, I'll never forget in Baltimore, we got a big amount of money to renovate every school. And, you know, in D.C., y'all got a big chunk of money to do the schools, too. And I'll never forget being on the cabinet and sitting in one of the meetings where we realized that one of the schools was built, like, right at the edge of a dump site. So they were, like, they're, like, barrels of toxic waste buried underneath one of our, like, right next to one of our schools, but, like, pretty much on school property and we weren't afraid that it was necessarily going to leak, but we were afraid that if we renovated our school building, it would shake the ground and open the and like contaminate the thing. And they built like a cement wall that was supposed to like stop the stuff from leaking over. And it's like, I'm in the room and I'm like, I got a lot of other stuff to do at work, but I'm like this, it, the people in the neighborhood have no clue. They don't know that they have been, that like the community is still adjacent to the school. So we're worried about the school part, but we're also worried about our kids who live in the neighborhood who like have just been playing and growing on this place that like, and there's no sign like the EPA was sort of moderately helpful. Like it was, it was really wild. And I, but, but I think about Kai, this made me, this made me think too about how we pathologize the health choices and the choices of people who we put in toxic environments. And we're like, well, they didn't do da da da. da. And you're like, you put them on top of toxic waste this wasn't about any choice that they made or whether they wanted to go to the doctor or went late or early. It's like you actually just put them in an unsafe place. Um, and I, I hope that there somebody listens to this and writes us and tells us there's a really simple website or map so people can put their address in and, and see if they live next to one of these and what to do. But uh, it was wild. And the last thing I was saying, you talked about this, but also really wild how many people participate in it. The mayor sell it, you know, people sell that like, a lot of people did know this. They didn't know, but a lot of people did know. And, and the thought that people could go to sleep doing this to people is gross. Um, one of the things that I'm most passionate about uh, is the environment. And I always would challenge people, um, uh, kind of like specifically like like white groups of people who talk about the environment and, and in a lot of ways that will create fear, um, is what's going to happen in the future and what's going to happen to your kids and what's going to happen generations from now and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, there's things happening right now. There are things that are happening currently. There are things that you could, that, that you can um, create um, spectacle around in order to uh, get attention to. And because um, sometimes uh, people's gaze intersects with, uh, uh, you know, anti-blackness, it makes you, it, it makes you just not see certain things or makes you not consider certain things or makes you not think 
think of things as environmental problems because if it's happening to black people, it's automatically race <laughs> and it's automatically not about the environment. It's about it's, it's it's about race and we don't like digger we don't dig deeper into the um intersection the the intersections of of what's making that possible that things like this don't get problem solved and they and and when they do come out there are these um there's it, it's either too late nothing can change or they these um niche pieces that we know about but we need other people to know about who have control in this in this conversation um and again i i think that part of us getting further along when it comes to um the environment the, the the environment is seeing that there are people indigenous people black folks black indigenous folks people um globally who are dealing with it right now and it's not just a bad storm or things happening it's 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 things that are um that that are affecting our lives like 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 this right here thank you for bringing it because it was illuminate even though it was it 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 was sad, but it was illuminating. I'm glad that I know about it. Um, I mine is about uh, it's a credit adjacent story. So that headline is how your shadow credit score can decide whether you get an apartment. Uh, most people know about credit, or you have credit. You try to get credit. I learned about credit late in life, but my credit score is not awful. And there've been a lot of conversations about the race impact of credit and how credit is relatively new, hasn't been around for a hundred years, you know. But but it's, uh, it's such a part of how decisions are made financially that people just some sort of come to accept it and all these other things. So, you know, we're not talking about credit credit. But what I didn't know is that there are private companies that essentially come up with a rent score, like almost like a credit score for your rent. There's a popular one that the article focuses on called Rent Grow. Uh, but there are more than a dozen companies that essentially mine all these different databases of of information that's out there about you and comes with a new score that is not your credit score. Now, the thing about credit scores is that they are regulated by the government. There is like a, there is in essence, some oversight to make sure that they're not scamming. You can legally write to get copies of your credit score. You can, you have the legal right to see what's in your credit score. But then uh, with the rent score, the rent score is like made up by these private companies. So they talk about, they go through and detail these people who have really good credit scores and have a bad rent score who they'll get denied and they'll say like credit history. And then they'll be like, well, what was on my credit? And then, you know, it's proprietary. So the rent scoring company is just like, you know, we don't think that you can pay the rent and people are at a disadvantage. And, you know, I'd love to see the way that the data is, you know, it's all private companies, but I have to imagine that there's a gender and race component to how, these numbers shake out in the aggregate when we can when when you look at it and consumer financial uh, protection bureau has they've gotten complaints about it and the ftc has gotten complaints about it and stuff like that but i wanted to bring it here because you just think about all the things that we fight that we see we think about all the algorithms and all the processes and laws that we see which is enough full-time work to last a, li- last a lifetime And then you think about all the things that you don't see, like who knew that this was a billion dollar industry is rent scores. I just, I had no clue. Like I, especially in a place you think about like a New York, right? Where you got to provide a month in advance to, you know, you got to prove that you can pay for the next year. You got to like all this stuff. And the thought that you cannot get an apartment because of some random score that a company made up that has inputs that who knows what they are really blew my mind. So I wanted to bring that here to the pod. (laughs) Ciao. (laughs) 
<laughs> like, I, it, it's really scary because it feels like, as some, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 31. I'm, 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 and I'm getting it done, and I'm, and I'm getting myself together, and it feels like there's, I, like I, I, I'm. I'm scared about what it's going to look like for me to try to do something at 41 or at 51. And between just the prices of rent going up, but then also like stories like this, it's like these like just kind of systemic attacks on um, the advancement. And I'll, and I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll make the guest. I'll make the guess, but like, I think these like these systemic attacks on the advancement of, um, of black folks um, it just feels so targeted, and I'm, and I'm, I guess all these like systemic ways that um that black people are bar are barred out, and 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 what like what is the answer? You know, I always will say that kind of broad, general, annoying answer of like we need to have our own institutions, we need to bank together, we need to have property together, and stuff like that. But to me, when I hear stories like this, I just don't see how people could come to any other agreements when there uh when there are uh, things that just seem so specifically made to keep black folks out and to keep um, people from um, really living in any other class than what they were born in. And that's what it feels like. And it feels like things are just being invented to ensure that. And I don't know what the answer is to that besides, oh, we just need to remove ourselves from this conversation because they're always going to grow a new villain. <laughs> That is absolutely right, Miles. That is exactly what I was thinking, right? You, these are what was so egregious about this is there's no recourse whatsoever. You don't know why people rejected you. You know, there could be errors that show up in this report and there's no way to correct them. And here you are needing a house, right? Needing an apartment and you can't get an apartment because there's some information about you that might or might not be correct. And you can't even ascertain what it is to be able to fix it or deal with it or whatever. And like you, Miles, I'm like, every time, you know, you, you, you move an inch that there are new ways to keep us down, ways that we don't even know about. And and this is why, you know, at some point, you got to figure out how, how we create our own reality where we are not subject to or beholden to. And here comes, you know, people, oh, here comes militant Kaya. But I, I really believe, <laughs> I do, I'm, I'm sorry, I'll be militant Kaya. I really believe that when you control, when when we collectively come together as a community, when we plow into each other, when we rent to each other, when we, you know, take care of each other, we just have different outcomes. Maybe one of the most shocking things in that article was the fact that the private equity companies are out here buying up all of these um, apartment buildings. And if you know anything about private equity, the whole point is, we will buy your company. We'll run it better than you. We'll make, you know, we'll make better profits. We'll cut costs. That's what they do. They're going to squeeze your company or your business or your enterprise to make more money. And so, you know, you're seeing in the apartment markets, rents skyrocket and people not getting the commensurate amount of services that go with that. Like that is a whole nother conversation that we should be having about, you know, what private equity is allowed to purchase, right? Because housing feels very different than you going out and buying, I don't know, some company that produces whatever. Um, this is people's homes and people's livelihoods. So this was 
this was a ain't that a blip kind of moment for me. Well, that's it. Thanks so much for tuning into Pod Save the People this week. Tell your friends to check it out. Make sure to rate it wherever you get your podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts or somewhere else. And we will see you next week. Pod Save the People is a production of Crooked Media. It's produced by AJ Moultre and mixed by Veronica Simonetti and executive produced by me. Special thanks to our weekly contributors, Kai Henderson, D.R. Ballinger, and Miles Johnson. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.